Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. We need to assess who we are as human beings and actually where, what angle are we coming from and everything that we do and, and then start from there and go again. And it's fine to do that after 30 years of being a business. Like, it doesn't need to be a you know, a spotty 18-year-old coming in and doing that. You need to, in many ways, you can't when you're that age. So actually having a bit of mileage under the, you know, mileage on the, on the clock is really helps you have a proper introspection of, of who you are and reflection on how you can move forward as a better human being. This is Roland Horn, founder and CEO of What's House, a speciality coffee chain in central London. And they're on a journey not just to achieve great business results, but also make a positive impact on people, communities, and the planet. Roland shares his journey into entrepreneurship and coffee. And you will learn from this conversation that he entered hospitality because he was a disgruntled customer. And we talk about their approach to growth and taking in investment without compromising on the purpose. The challenges of the staffing crisis and how they have now built an employee experience that reflect their purpose and culture from when people onboard to they have training to they manage on a daily level. The whole goal with this is to aspire to be the best in class. We also talk OKRs, stepping back to see the big picture, how to use difficult times to be proactive, becoming a B Corp, and much more. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. If you are a founder or CEO, grab your coffee, pen, and notebook. There will be lots of ideas and insights in this conversation on how to build a business that gives more than it takes. Enjoy. Could you, for people out there, just give like, you know, your like elevator pitch on what who, who you are, your background, and also how you came around to build a little coffee chain? Sure. Um, okay, elevator pitch, 30 seconds. So I'm Roland Horn. I'm the CEO and founder of Watch House Coffee, which is a specialty coffee brand here in central London. Um, great to be here. Definitely great to be back in the flesh and bone after uh, after COVID. Um, and yeah, so fundamentally, our, our business is one in which um, we position ourselves to be the go-to local hero of choice within within specialty scene within central London. It's a, it's a tall order to to, to achieve that, but um, we're definitely making inroads into that as, as the business grows. I, I come from, I'm Irish originally, um, contrary to my accent. I moved here when I was quite young. Um, and uh, to a sort of a scrappy part of uh, the Midlands uh, here in here in the UK, and kind of taught me to be quite um, to have dexterity and to 
in some ways, I think to sort of have a more holistic approach towards life. And you know, it was wasn't the easiest of childhoods, but certainly wasn't the hardest either. But um, I think coming down to London here to study for my uh, for my degrees, um, I sort of started my first uh, startup here when I was finishing my undergraduate degree in aquarium design. Um, so kind of got into um, sort of high end architecture. Uh, again, taking very holistic approaches towards um, what I was doing at the time, which effectively was installing big, expensive aquariums in in people's homes, principally uh, very high net worth individuals. Um, and uh, so, you know, you learn negotiation, you learn about um, consideration, and and you know things things that you need in business, such as contracts and understanding of law and accounting, etc. All those things that you kind of come a second nature now, but. Um, so this is a long elevator we're in, but um, <laughs> it's broken down on the <laughs> high floor. Um, yeah, so fundamentally, uh, after aquariums, I, I, I then transitioned into uh, property, um, whilst um, also then giving an opportunity to then enter specialty. And uh, I came to it as a frustrated customer. I've said it quite a few times, um, but it's very much the truth. Um, I found that the the lack of empathy within the hospitality scene at that time this is back in sort of 2010 11 at the time when i was sort of getting more aware of hospitality within london um i found that there was a lack of empathy and a sort of a chain rollout you know cookie cutter all for the ultimately i had to hate to say it but for the money men um in in this world um and so i wanted to do something that was sort of best in class within our my space squaring off some of those edges and um, or I should say, rounding off some of those edges, I should say, um, to make sure that we that we could have a truly a truly great experience. And uh, so, Watch House was established, or we we like to say re-established in 2014. The building's from 1829, so we feel like we've re-established the building in, in 2014. Um, I did originally run into it with a partner, um, but he dropped out prior to us actually commencing the work. And so, I went from being an investor, sleepy investor, to actually being an active day-to-day partner and as I say Watch House was established in 2014 um, and yeah we've we've now grown the business from one site in 2014 um, I was referred to them as houses um, now over to nine trading houses uh, vertically integrated roastery and uh, we've got three other houses that are currently under construction on site here in central London and another half a dozen or so in legals or under offer stage uh, as we scale the business so yeah so it's it's full speed on, you can say in the uh, in the post pandemic yeah. world, if yeah. we dare to say that. Um, could you tell us a bit more about because what really made us click and talk was all about, you know, I, I mentioned in the intro as well, the purpose, the mission, mm. the vision, and the mm. mission. And you already allured to a bit that there must be a better way. Mm. Yeah, I think you know, I think it's been said a few times um, from a few American. Um, academics principally about the whole Greek, the great reassessment uh, rather than great the great resignation as it were since the pandemic and I'm not going to sit here today and talk too much about the pandemic but what I would say to you um, is in relation to our um, ultimately our as we refer to them, the pillars of our business and what we're here for um, is that the pandemic gave us that opportunity to really genuinely reassess what we were about and um, I think what's super interesting is that if you go into business you can go in with a sort of a frustration which is which was my entrance uh, entrance into the business and into the sector but actually having that ability to have really good critical analysis of really what you're doing to the very basic level and not focusing on operations because i think people tend to do that you kind of go with what you can touch and feel um really to start thinking about ultimately the culture and the people within the business and i've said it 
openly and I'm, I'm very I'm a transparent person um you know we we didn't really do that at watch house prior to the pandemic you know we we did have a best in class mentality and mantra within the business and we wanted to be better and i think if you asked any of my colleagues at watch house they would say that my vision as a as the primary um owner of our business and maybe we'll come on to investment later on but the primary vision of me was to be best in class and to solve some of the externalities and the problems that we saw when i entered the the market but i, I again i not having that ability or maybe necessity um to really sit back and think about what you, what you're doing um and i think i was probably quite cynical to the whole notion i used to, i remember when i was graduating from university and people were always talking about you see you know big blue chip companies saying oh people are the most important thing to our business and i remember always being super cynical about it thinking of course it is like your bottom line is the most important thing and i and i and i think i was hugely ignorant actually because whilst there probably is a bit of healthy cynicism needed for those big statements you see on websites the reality is that the people for us at our business are absolutely um not only the 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 way we get to what we want to do as a business but it's also the funnest and the best part of our business it's possibly the most challenging as well um it's not like it's it's super easy to manage you know we've got 220 or so people at our business now um and it is difficult um managing aspirations but it's also hugely rewarding so I think the the COVID situation allowed us to have a great the great reassessment really of our business and, and we really honed in on our um ultimately our what our mission vision really was for the business, which which has to be said is still is still being evolved as we go through our growth. And and how do you bring bring that to life? Uh, because what was really interesting, you got people around the table during the the pandemic because you had that time to reassess and i can remember when we had a, a video call you just said we're just taking everything down from like the the big yeah. the big reassessment mm-hmm. as we call it that mm-hmm. can you talk a bit about that process and what you learned from that as yeah. the, the ceo founder because yeah. you've been in the business for you know almost uh seven eight yeah, years now seven, eight years, yeah. yeah um yeah i mean it was uh, truly it was i i, I I, there's two stories here. There's my story, which I will give you as much as you want to hear about, and there's also the story of the business. And I think what um, I founded Watch House, I am the founder of the business, um, but very soon after I founded it, I um, brought an operations director um, in at that time as a barista, um, Steph Gregg, who's now on maternity leave um, for the next uh, for the next year, um, and she was effectively my co-founder, and uh, she is one of life's beautiful people and um i have historically been the the so-called bad cop of that relationship in terms of getting deals done and being a bit more commercial and making sure that the you know the the necessary friction of business is 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 undertaken uh, in a successful way and um, whilst also being true to our morals and what we stand for but ultimately business is about an element of healthy conflict and at times you need to be able to be there for that so steph and i very much fell into a yin and yang situation but actually with steph and moving into uh, a fantastic part of her life um i'm a father of three i know how amazing it is to have children um yeah you know it allowed me an opportunity and sort of headspace actually to go right i need to be yin and yang here in this in this situation culturally for our business and um, how do i do that and um we hired a uh, somebody who came to us from a blitzscaling tech firm in the uk who came actually as a marketing director in an interim capacity she was um introduced actually by one of our angel investors and she uh, her name is Olivia she's fantastic and uh, she came and sort of brought the objectives and key results 
um, framework, uh, OKRs as they're referred to, and really sort of we spent hours and hours and hours sitting inside uh, a skyscraper in central London. Uh, we, we we built a site in uh, St Mary's Axe, and part of that deal was we got opportunities to sit upstairs in the sort of big lounges and talk about stuff from you know FOC as it were. And so we sort of had these ideation sessions up in the in, in these in these areas and sort of sitting there talking about what matters to us. Um, and and so we developed our OKR framework and and really what the pillars of our business were and you know we we introduced um, profit into that conversation. Um, I think the notion of motivating profit is really important ultimately to everything we wanted to do. You know, passionate people, um, and that was ultimately the first thing that we that we re, we reassessed and said right that's our first thing that we're going to focus on and that's 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 the business. And um, premium product was the third. Uh, and exceptional places was the final. So those four um, pillars um, were significant, and they were established during this period of assessment um, during during COVID. Um, so yeah, I brought people in. I've uh, leveraged and lent on people who have been um, who complement my areas of weakness, and and they've done the same to me. So it's been a, a really great, challenging, emotional at times. You know, we've had tears um, during that process of sort of reflecting. I think. Uh, it led me to go off and 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 go back to school. So I'm I'm off now doing an MBA, an exec MBA, and um, sort of trying to learn more about the vocational parts of business and culture. Um, it makes you question whether you're a, you know, whether you're a good person. I think in truth, um, which I think is a healthy thing for anyone to do as well. And and what you what you've done good at and what you can do better at. So it's been a healthy um it's been a healthy but challenging time. But we've come out of it now with a framework where. Uh, something that we can build upon as a business as we scale, and as I say, with two hundred and twenty or so colleagues, you know, this is a challenging thing, right? You've got to bring people into a culture and make and that best in class is fine as a north star, but it's not enough. So um, it's something that we are uh, grappling with, and um, we don't always get it right. You know, we've we've lost some great people along the way who have gone elsewhere, and and uh, and we've obviously looked at ourselves and how we can improve there. But I think. You know, we've got in the in the in the pandemic as well. Um, you know, we've got two now of the um, top ten baristas in the world who competed at the World Coffee Championships in Milan. Um, you know, we've got uh, at the time of speaking to you, we've had um, three people also competing in Coffee Masters, um, three out of sixteen uh, in the world, which is which is really amazing. And uh, we've got another. Uh, two people who are competing for the UK Breeze Championships uh, coming up soon um, f- in our business. So, you know, coming from a 266 square foot small site in 2014 with no real knowledge of specialty to having been surrounded by people like that says a lot about the, the sort of the vision of being best in class within our business. It's very interesting. You talk about this journey of growth. You mentioned that a couple of times, and we need to, you know, make sure growth and vision, mission, purpose goes hand in hand and the framework is built to take care of that growth. So so what is your approach to growth and also, you know, because you need funding for mm-hmm. that, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you talk about you had angel investors. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you don't take investment in no. to make a, a, a good business or mm-hmm. better business. You can talk a bit about that and what your experience has been with that over the years. Um, so uh, because I've founded um a total of four businesses now in my life um i've always sort of seeded them myself first and first thing i want to say is that the notion of money in business within particularly within specialty coffee and actually with hospitality generally is has been bastardized right like there's just so many examples of people doing things to get in to get out 
you know, private private equity money ramping things up and then dumping it and all sorts of stuff. And it, it, it's not going to go away. That's that's the nature of the beast. But I do think there are not enough examples of successful, positive environments where businesses such as ours have taken investment from decent human beings that happen to be venture capitalists or work in private equity. You know, not everybody is out to try and sell you up the road. Um there are a lot of those type of characters as well, of course, but but I think there's not enough examples of a positive impact in the VC space. So I think uh, Watch House, as I say, I started all the rest of my businesses myself and seeded them as I did with Watch House, and I think we we had a um, we had a, you know first site 2014, second site 2016. I took a sabbatical in 2015 to go off and tour various coffee places in the world and get loads of inspiration and take a bit of a break um, because I started my first business at university, so I hadn't really done all that whole gap year or whatever they say mm. um so 2017 we opened up our 2016 we opened our second site 2017 we opened up our third site and in 2018 we were then approached by an american conglomerate um who many people know um here in the uk that uh, went and tried to and offered me um quite a big seven figure cash buyout um to to sell the business to them this is in 2018 and um, I vividly remember it was sort of November, late November, um, twenty eighteen, and it, you know there was a, wasn't a moment of like absolutely not. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's someone offers you a big financial incentive for something you do consider. Of course, you do. We're human, and so I thought about it for a few weeks, and then thought this isn't this doesn't feel right to me. There was something about it that just wasn't right. So I remember ringing at our Christmas party a couple of weeks into December. And just staring in the 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 owner and said no. I got quite a lot of expletives back on the phone from from him. Um, they've subsequently now gone into administration and basically disappeared out of the scene. And 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 I have to say I'm thankful for that because I think they were in this game for the wrong reason. Um, and um, and yeah, so we we then 2018 said no to a, you know a big seven figure purchase. And then yeah, it got to 2019. And it was like right, okay, I need to now you know. If I'm going to turn down something like that, I need to really step on the gas and really do something significant. And I think um, around that time, I started to, we had our first child and I sort of came to the realization sort of mortality and, and all those things were, you know, we're all racing to the grave is the truth to a certain degree. And I think um, really what I wanted to do was press on and do something significant. And so we, we did take uh, an investment. We went and spoke to a couple of people. Um, and we, we did a deal with a small venture capital firm called Edition Capital here in central London for young, really nice partners. Um, uh, well, three young partners, one of them slightly older. Um, Paul won't mind me saying that, uh, hopefully. Um, and uh, But really young outfit. Um, they'd only been around for a couple of years and they backed a couple of people. They just were really good. Like They just met them, liked them immediately, was like, these are good humans. Um, and we did the deal. So we raised about uh, just over £2 million in 2019 July um, and then we then bought uh, we, we invested in our roastery vertically integrated during that period so, so we went and bought our roastery from from a, a German um, German roaster called Bonanza who many people will know um, and uh, we then also acquired um, Fernandes and Wells the sites that Fernandes and Wells was, was an operator here in central London that was the owner was basically retiring and um, so we acquired uh, that and uh, reopened up Watch House and Somerset House in February 20 and then the pandemic hit and just prior to the pandemic hitting um, Edition Capital came in again for another million pounds um, on an, an up valuation um, 
and so we were very capitalized going into covid uh we just obviously opened up the somerset house watch house and um and yeah we kind of uh, sort of went into it quite um in quite a bullish manner i guess fundamentally um i know we don't want to hark on about pandemic too much on this podcast today but i think if i was to sort of categorize summarize my approach during the 18 months call it of 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 the pandemic it was basically be quite bullish in the first third because i felt that september 2020 would be the end of covid and you know there's going to be some great opportunities and landlords were freaking out and we got some great deals on offer to us and so we were snapping up all sorts of opportunities and um you know turnover deals capex deals from landlords etc um of course then to september 20 coming and we had and then it kind of went to like october and suddenly you're facing another situation of uh, a rise and then there was my, my partner's actually a pharmacist so she was kind of like listen you need to understand there may never be a a, a um a, a vaccination for this and that, at that point it was like geez like are we going to be living with this face mask and stuff all the rest of our lives so then it went quite bearish uh, internally um in terms of my outlook and i say internally what i mean is me personally during this period um the business carried on working on these processes um, and then the final third was back to sort of a, a not as bearish as the, sorry bull, bullish as the first quarter uh, first third, but it was definitely back into the right. Let's get on, let's crack on, do some do some great stuff. And um, so yeah, then we we opened up a couple of more sites during lockdown. We opened up our, our roastery properly in August 2020, um, and we actually didn't make any of our staff redundant throughout that period, and we actually built our head office cost. So the orthodoxy in London at that time was drop everything you're doing, close, er, don't pay anybody. Sack all your staff. Um, don't stop. Don't do any capex expenditure. Just don't do anything because you don't know what's happening. And uh, you know, for, and some people do that. We were lucky because our cost base was quite small. So, we, and I, we were obviously capitalised well. So it was like, right, actually, let's let's take a let's swim against the tide. Um, and I think it served us really well. And you mentioned that's really interesting uh, overview about you know your your the, the the way you look at growth and how you fund it, but also how you approach the the pandemic, where you know you swim against the tide. You do the counterintuitive. When it comes to culture, you already mentioned that you know that's something that's very very important for you guys. And you said yourself, like I, you know, there's been a lot of learning for me as well, and I'm still educating myself to become a better CEO slash founder. Can you talk a bit about how you actually build culture and how you manage culture? Because that's a beast, as you say. It's yeah. it's, it's probably the most when you get you get it right, the most exciting things and most giving things. Yeah. But when it's challenging, which is this for many many people it's not it's not always easy even though it looks like from the outside they're just mm. on top of this they're mm. just doing it um i i think the way we dealt with culture i i, I mean I, I i do think that i'm a decent human being i think um i think i see other human beings who i think are also decent people and therefore i tend to hire and work with those people and i think that served me well from the moment steph greg walked through our door to the moment that we hired our Head of people, Jess Davis, who's been a great, great hire for us in terms of sort of a spiritual energy towards, um, you know, I guess a, a sort of a really strong culture within our business to, to you know, to to be open to the OKRs, to be self-reflective about who I am as a human being as well, and 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 the MBA, for example, as well. So I think the point fundamentally has been about hiring great people, being really honest with yourself about what your culture isn't and is, but you know, I think we need to move forward, not always sort of rub our backs like fundamentally it's about assessing that you're not good at what you're doing and 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 or not as good as you could be and really working hard at, at making that better so during the period of the cultural side yeah it was 
you know, I mean, again, I'm full transparency here with you. Like, I found it hard with trust. Like, I think it's, you know, I'm a, um, I like to feel that people are together and they're cracking on and there's like an element of amazing friction and conflict within a workplace create creatively as well. Like, I, I just like people being with each other. And so, like, this notion of, like, everyone disappearing, be at home at Zoom and, you know, and, yeah, it was hard for me because I was kind of like, actually, hold on, what are people doing here? Like, oh, that phone call's not been answered. What are they up to? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so there was a real kind of reflection about, um, you know, trust, really, for me personally. And I think, you know, I, as I said to you before, sort of leveraging people within our business and sort of leaning on them and learning from them about about other elements of where I, I'm good, they, they learn from me when I'm not the other way around. So, um, so yeah, so I think really fundamentally it was about really reassessing what, what I was doing culturally within our business and and trying to learn from people around me about the best way to or- orientate it. I hope I'm not being too harsh on myself here, but I think it's important to be honest about the fact that it was a hard cultural piece for me personally as well as for the business, but I think we've come out of it in an exceptional place. Yeah, and I think you're right because culture comes from the way you lead the business mm. and it reflects the, the way you are. Um, and what about like, you know, you talk about this growth curve you're on now. Do you see growth like could be an enemy of that good mm. culture you built now? And are you scared of that? But you know you need to do it, but you also need to balance that out with the culture and the purpose. All of, all these three things go hand in hand. Absolutely. Um, I think it's one of the... St- Sort of the other half of the coin to a certain degree about taking private equity or, or venture capital money. There's also this notion that as you grow, you become mediocre, and the the special source that you had or the energy that you had kind of gets diluted, and then it becomes this big chain, and then it all dies and disappears, right? And I don't. It does scare me because I do think that if you just look at pure on a risk adjusted basis, like your business vis a vis what other people have done in the past, you'd have to say that the correlation there is quite. Um, there's an obvious correlation there. Like you can't deny it. So the history suggests that as businesses grow, they get poorer. I think I, I'm very happy to sort of shed light on competitors or people in the business that we see as aspirational. I do think that James Freeman from Blue Bottle, um, listening to a podcast from him um, during lockdown, actually talking about their mantra about as they grow, they want to be better. And I think. I think what's interesting is in the UK hospitality scene, there is this notion of, well, as we grow, we'll be as good as we were for our first site. Well, his view is actually, as we grow, we'll be better than the site in the Bay Area that he started in 2002 or three. I forget the year it was now. So I think this notion of being better as you get in bigger is 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 actually really important. And I think it's something that, um, you know, the, the, the instruments available to you, the opportunities available to you to bring in a head of people to look at your culture and, and how to run your 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 people systems within your business or to bring in a creative director who's going to look at the creative side of your business all those things that when you are a smaller operator yes you have the magic you have the the authenticity which is the key source as far as i'm concerned in anything and everything but i think that what you don't have is the opportunity to really double click on things that are that take a lot of resource and time and actually as you get bigger you get more opportunity to sort of you know, have someone look at how's the best, what's the best way to do frozen coffee, which is what we're 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 about to launch in one of our sites in in the West End and just off Mayfair, off uh, Bond Street. You know, like how how are we looking at waste and sustainability within our business? You know, our food, like how are we developing that? Well, we've got an opportunity to have a development chef now that actually works for us full time, and 
So there's all these amazing opportunities that you have as you grow. And I just think as long as you keep clear and your mission is very, very, very clear, there's an opportunity to be much, much better than you were in 2014 opening up in a former church building, you know. And that's I think that's an interesting thing for us to focus on as we grow. You talked about the, the people system to support the mm. culture. Can you talk a bit about what you have done to mm-hmm. make your people journey unique? Yeah, um, I think um, I won't recount the names of the businesses, but I was in New York, and I've said one of them already, which is Blue Bottle. <laughs> and there was another brand that I went and just was walking around. This was back in 2017, actually. And we were kind of wonder- I was wandering around doing a bit of a recce and just cruising around New York because why don't you know everyone wants to do that? And um, and I went to this brand and I spoke to a barista who was there and he was Australian and I had a chat with him and obviously being Aussie in New York and obviously I was British sounding in New York we had a bit of a chat and stuff I said oh, how's how's the culture how are you getting on he said oh well they handed me a they handed me an apron yesterday and this is my second day on on in the business and I and and the space was just run badly yeah it was doing trade it had a bit of uniqueness because it was a brand which wasn't the typical American brand and therefore they had they had a semi-successful model um but then i went to blue bottle and spoke to you walked into the space and there was this kind of uh just this energy in the space from the from the staff that was just a bit special so i similarly got chatting to one of the baristas there on the side and i said listen how, tell me about what's your what's your culture like did you get do you get handed an apron on day two or day one and then you're working from day two onwards oh no 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 no, absolutely not no we go through a full-blown induction process off the tools for a minimum of a week at that time um you know they get a full a full immersion into the business and therefore culturally they start off from a really strong and, and great space now this is back in 2017 we were a much smaller business three sites just about to open our third site um we hadn't had any investment we were kind of very much hand-to-mouth kind of operation and I think then at that point I was like, right, when we get to the point where we can do this, which ultimately should have been yesterday is the answer to that question, but fundamentally from a, from a funds perspective, it was difficult for us to do it. We need to really invest in that culturally so that we need to know that when someone comes and joins us, they don't go straight on to working with us. They do spend a lot of time theoretically learning about the culture and what it meant. So when we brought our head of people on Jess Davis and um, before lockdown um, she went through a full uh, module induction process uh, 30 60 90 for all of our staff um, and it's evolving so we had um, uh, UK Barista champion Paul Ross uh, with us um, for uh, 14 or 15 months um, he's off now to do his own entrepreneurial activity which is great and we hugely support that um, but he came to us and also made some comments about you know how do you just little things like we give a bag of coffee now to all of our new starters, um, which is printed with our, their names on as a thank you. Um, we're now evolving that process as more, whereby, whereby every single person who joins the business, I will personally call that person for um, for a phone call prior to their first day uh, in Watch House to have a conversation with them, which I know sounds a bit grandiose because, well, you know, CEO rings you. But the reality is when you have 200 plus employees, you know, that's a lot of people, a lot of time for to, to, to actually get around everybody. So actually speaking to them before they speak, come to anywhere, you know, any sort, any any part of our business is a really important part as well, and just hearing about what they think, and then following up with them in due course as well. So, um, we give everybody brunch before, when they join us as well. Um, there is a there is a PDP plan in place, so they can go through SCA modules, coffee modules, um, if they're in the barista side of our business. Um, also, uh, management training and and really bringing them through into the business and sort of cultivating your rising stars. So, um. 
so yeah there's there's a load of things that we're doing and we all do we're going to do i think bringing the whole business to a london living wage was a big big you know part of the great reassessment i think was not only about culture but it was also about economics and i think you know you and i both expect that if we walk into a pret-a-manger tomorrow morning and your you know your sandwich is 15 pence more than it was six months ago you're probably not going to say anything because you understand that we're now in an inflationary period um let's not even talk about brexit or you know the horrific things we're seeing in in the ukraine at the moment there's there's a lot of a lot of headwinds in the world right now and therefore inflationary pressures are everywhere and because of that great reassessment we've managed to look and go right actually where do we sit financially within the space and how can we invest in our people so it's fine to talk all these nice words but are you going to put your money where your mouth is so we brought everyone in our business up to a minimum of a london living wage um uh a level um so everybody gets minimum london living wage plus they get trunk uh, service charge on top um so that was a really important part uh, obviously we're going through the b core process at the moment which is a really exciting thing as well um and uh, other things like mental health training um, again, going back to that point about making sure that we are being considerate to people in our business to ensure that they are looked after and cared for when they aren't well. Um, so there's been loads of really great things coming out of the last 18 to 24 months culturally and economically as well. So putting those prices up basically helped us. It allowed us the opportunity to go, you know, how are we going to make our business actually sustainable? Well, if we're going to do it, we need to charge properly. So um, it's slightly depressing to see people coming into the market still looking to try and go like race to the bottom i think that's a that's a shame because i think you know obviously you're from denmark and i think Denmark's a great example of a place where if you pay good wages if you, you know everything is done with an element of empathy and i think that's something that resonated with me when i went to denmark it was actually that, that feeling of actually things aren't cheap but people live well and they're happy and i think there's a lot to be said about that yeah and it's also about productivity hmm in principle, because also it's, you start out thinking smarter about what you do in a business. You don't throw, for example, labor at a problem. Yeah, it's a very, very different, different approach. But exactly. that, that's a totally different conversation. <laughs> I wanted to stay a bit about what you talk about here and then dive into that a bit. Like you talk about that thing where you send the baristas out there, mm. part of these World Cups, and I know how hard it is to get into that from mm. my pa- coffee background. Sure. I think we had one or two people over our history, my nine years in a coffee chain. Mm. Um, it's almost that pursuit of mastery mm. that comes from the outset, you know, the perfection you talked mm. about in the beginning. Like Michael Jordan also talks about standards. You mm-hmm. can only, doesn't matter what others do, you need to beat your own standards mm. every day, and set mm-hmm. hires. Um, can you talk a bit about that and why it's so important for you? And you said, are you really happy that you created an entrepreneur? Is another example of creating a business person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have to say again, uh, they always say about Mark Zuckerberg that he his skill is hiring great people. That's his skill. He surrounds himself by fantastic people, Sheryl Sandberg, whatever. But he hires himself, he surrounds himself with great people. Um, I, while we're clearly not at the same standard, um, I would say to you that um, my ability is similar and that I see people that I that I immediately know that they will be value-add in their respective space. And our head of coffee in, in this situation um, is a gentleman called Ryan Garrick, who um, joined us. We had, you know, we were, we weren't even weighing in shots. Like we were, like we were, we weren't, we were not good when we first started. Like we were honest and we did good stuff and we made good revenue, but we weren't in a specialty way anywhere near where we, certainly not where we are now, but we just, he joined us at that point and um, we didn't have a roastery, obviously. We, we were talking about it and he kind of doubled down with us and 
Um, and now he uh, he's our he's our head of coffee, soon to be coffee director in our business. We're restructuring um, as we obviously as we go. Um, he he created and he came from a sort of sports psychology background, so he created this. We used to refer to it as the Team Sky um, cycling approach, where there was you know six or seven people that would be working towards competition. There'd be one person who maybe gets the lion's share of the support because. That that's how the team ran in terms of like Ryan being the coach, and then we'd have someone who was principally going to be the person going for the UKBCs. We managed to have two or three people at the same time without causing too, any sort of issues about um, conflict of interest, etc. But but fundamentally, Ryan's created a really great career and competition, a healthy competition within the coffee team, and therefore that means that yeah, creating those aspirational elements within our teams has been has been has been a really important part of the culture of the business so you know we get people coming to us now who approach us because they want to be part of our competition team um, and I don't know I'm sorry if there's someone listening to this that can contradict me but and I hope they can in fact but um, I don't know if there's another competition team within London doing what we're doing that you know we have a very very tight-knit group of people who are focused upon mastery as you say I think it's a really good word actually and it's not one that we really use in our business but I think it does encapsulate what we're trying to do we're trying to be masters of what what we do um and I think that's that's something that Ryan is is particularly spearheaded um yeah what about um that leads us then to something I think I think that's really interesting is also because you're growing a business and you know and you said that the commercial has to be right so therefore the standards the operational standards has to be spec on mm. every day as mm. you open and close mm. that business also talk about you visit a brand in New York where that mm. was not the case and the culture is the foundation mm. of great standards how do you maintain them as you grow because so especially when you have like a premium product like mm. you have it's so hard it's so hard I, I, I um it's so hard I can't even tell you how difficult it is to do it and I think you know we've recently hired so Steph's role originally in our business was operations director and um we very quickly realized both of us are very honest characters in ourselves we're both very reflective about our own um skill sets and what we aren't good at and one of the things we haven't been strong at is that operationally as a business you know we don't come from you know a mcdonald's vocational program or you know work for nando's for 10 years like it's just not where we come from um so we wanted to make sure that we had that that but equally i don't want to i never wanted to bring in someone who was just because what you tend to find with those those operations fantastically commercially fantastic and they they come so well drilled so well drilled but are they watch house do they want to be best in class or is it more about you know it's just not the same kind of comparable space um, and we were super fortunate to find um, an operations director by the name of Damon Conn, who had previously been, he came to us from Marks and Spencers, but prior to that he'd been uh, in operations at Harrison Hall and Taylor Street Baristas before that, and he'd been in specialty, and you, you know, he's Australian, which is also a massive tick, obviously, on the on the kind of specialty box, um, but he was an absolute game changer for our business and came in and kind of went, right, what are we doing here? How do we do this? And we're still working on it, like we're still trying to get our sort of NSO and a new store opening um, team off the ground um, whilst we come out of COVID. Um, and But operationally, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. One thing I will say on it, though, is that I, I tend to be probably the biggest critic of our stores. I go into them and there'll be something that's not right, whatever it may be. Um, luckily, the second most critical person is, is Damon, which is great because I, I, which I, yeah, it's been a real revelation coming to get to know him because I often get quite frustrated when I feel like people around me don't have the same aspiration towards 
perfection which is also not realistic but it's just what i am who i am as a person and uh, luckily damon very much has that so he um he he does most of the qcing and, and operational training now for the for the for the company um and certainly in terms of standard training he's 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 exceptional at that but um but yeah the 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 difficulty of that thing I always say to myself though is when I do find it difficult at times if I go into a shop and I don't know a point of sale is out of out of um, alignment or the music is slightly too quiet or slightly too loud the, what I think I come to realise is actually people don't have the same sensitivities towards your brand as much as you do and therefore as long as you are doing a very very good job across most of your facets people will be very very happy Um and and therefore actually take it easy on yourself a little bit. Yeah, so like Michael Jordan said, you're in competition with yourself, mm. not the others. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you're touching on the the customers or mm. community, as I would like to call them. Your, mm. you know, how do you build that? Because you have some loyal customers. Uh, you know, I've noticed and talked with a couple of people that really said, "Yeah, that's my that's my place. I'll I'll go to there. I'll go to Watch House in the my morning. That's my yeah." Just, I'm glad to hear that. Holy touch point of the day. <laughs> That's good. How, um, do you, how do you build that and how do you actually maintain that connection, especially as you grow as well? I I, I honestly... Listen, I came into this industry as a frustrated customer. I said that earlier on. I, I think if you are trying to solve that problem, honestly and authentically, I've said that word a few times, but I want to repeat it. If you are opening up a hospitality brand and you want to do something truly great, be authentic. That is what you need to do. You need to write that on the top of your, on a piece of paper and put it on front of your wall and hold that out in front of you. Like that is the most important thing. Be authentic, be honest and be true. But I would say that if you do those things and you adhere to that, I think customers just know. I think they just realize that there is something here that's truly honest and if you're doing a good product and you're trying to do good food and you're trying to do you know the system or the or the environment in a, in a good way i think people start to realize that so to, in terms of con- connecting i guess spiritually with our customer base i think it's about making sure that when you're designing your house as we refer to them um uh, or if you're designing any of your systems or anything you're doing if you're doing it with true empathy and authenticity then I think people just know that intrinsically. I think in terms of more and less spiritually, but more just day to day. You know, yes, we do. The, you know, we obviously have a we invest a fair amount of time and effort and and and, and resource into our into our marketing and our social media, um, and we connect with people. You know, I make it a principle that you know every single house manager has to has to respond to any Google review, good or bad. Definitely the. The bad ones are they're all over it very very quickly, but also the the nice ones. So if you go and click on any of our watch houses on Google, for example, you'll see every single of the eight hundred reviews on a, one of our houses would have been replied to. So there's the connectivity is very much built into the DNA of the business. Um, we allow our to- we 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 encourage, but we definitely allow, but we encourage um, engagement from our house managers to obviously to our customers in terms of if they want something changed, if they if they want to make an amendment, they can do that. If there's an element of idiosyncrasy within a house, then by all means, let's lean into that and see what, see where it takes us. Um, and 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 then obviously there's other things such as that we obviously we've got an app which we use an awful lot for our for connectivity directly to customers um, and. And I think now as we start to build out our direct-to-consumer business, which is a big part of our future, um, we'll have a more of a digital engagement with them as well. I mean, I've spoken previously about things such as NFTs and tokens and things like that. I think um, I've probably come a bit more cynical about those as the last six months has gone on in terms of 
we don't. I don't want them to be without sounding like a pun, a token. I don't want it to be a token thing. I want it to be something that's real and get and really engaged. So um, you won't be seeing you know Watch House launching NFT artworks for their walls. Like it's not going to happen at our business. But you may see us in the near future look at doing a uh, a, to- a, a you know a coin in which it can allow people additional um, qualitative access to such as additional training resources or one to one training with our head baristas or. Um, also additional benefits in terms of actually when they come into the store in terms of what they get as well so there's there's different things that we're looking at doing in terms of connectivity with com- with our community we also hired just finally on this point we actually hired a community manager as well um bit of a shout out to Faye she was um a big part of the cultural piece actually of our business she kind of came in and reluctant both externally at what our community engagement was like but also internally about what we were doing as well and she was a big part of that um cultural evolution I was going to say revolution. It was kind of a revolution, but also an evolution as well within our business over the last 18 months. And that's very counterintuitive if you look at normal hospitality. It's very known in tech. You have your community manager that is involved with the community. YouTube is known for the story about yeah. building that you know community from the straight out when they cocked up some of the setup of the tech and all the heavy users just said, no, what the hell are you doing? And they captured that because they had a community manager that can come back with all that feedback and say, we need to change this because sure. they're leaving us if we don't. Yeah. Um, what is your prediction for hospitality? You went in with a bit of a disgruntled customer. You need <laughs> This had to be better. But what is, how do you see hospitality after the pandemic, which was a bit of a reset, many said, from a hospitality point of view? Um, I think that there's going to be... It's interesting because obviously it's so faceted. There's so many things we yeah. can talk about in that situation. I mean, in a more uh, boring commercial way, obviously the price of things have gone up. I think they're going to go up certainly for the long. I, I, certainly for the medium term, I could think possibly for the long term as well. I think this race to the bottom within anything other than very very cheap brands. I think that that day is kind of over, right? Like one of the things I learned when I was doing or as I'm doing my MBA is like you kind of want to be at either ends of the of the scale. You either want to be a very cheap operator that does things super super well, you know, quick part, you know, buy them buy it high and uh, or pilot high sell it cheap operator or you want to be a uh, operator in which you create such a diversion from your price point your perceived and real value add that people are willing to pay so i think what you're going to see here is possibly race to the bottom operators um getting more efficient getting a bit more predatory but being successful i think you'll also then see a premiumization within the space of um of more local heroes really stepping up and doing something that's a bit more special and investing properly in what they're doing so and therefore the quality will start to to increase um i don't see hospitality as anything other than going in one way which is in a positive way and up i don't see people disappearing into the zoom world i never thought that this whole notion of we're going into a new world is a load of rubbish as far as i'm concerned the only new world i see is tuesdays wednesdays and thursdays being the new Fridays or the old Fridays and, and Mondays and Fridays being a bit quieter but the weekend being absolutely jammed so I think we're in a great a great space and people humans want humans like we don't want tech we just don't want it and um, that'll never change as far as I'm concerned and I think as long as we position our brand in a position where we have people and connectivity authenticity and empathy at the very centre of what we do I think uh, you know we'll be in a good place if you should give one advice to to other leaders out there, what should that be? Yeah, I got asked that actually recently on a on a panel I was on, and and uh, sitting on a panel full of people, and there was everyone was kind of being quite um, reflective about the sort of the more modular parts of their 
of their business. I, I think the real key thing for leaders out there is to be really, really, really introspective about what you actually are doing. As a, I keep on using that word human being, it's a bit odd because, like, but I think it kind of sobers the mind about what we are doing as as people. Like, we 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 need to assess who we are as human beings and actually where what what angle are we coming from and everything that we do and and then start from there and go again and it's fine to do that after 30 years of being a business like it doesn't need to be a you know a spotty 18 year old coming in doing that you need to in many ways you can't when you're that age so actually having a bit of mileage under the you know mileage on the on the clock is really helps um helps you um have a proper introspection of, of who you are and reflection on how you can move forward as a better human being where can uh, people find out more about you watch house coffee Yeah. Um, so Watch House is uh, uh, obviously there's the usual social media channels, uh, principally Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can obviously reach out to us on on uh, via our website if you want to come and speak to us. Um, actually, I'd encourage anybody who wants to learn a bit more about business if they want to reach out to me. I'm happy to have a, a conversation with you over a coffee or even on Zoom if we have to. Um, so preferably over a coffee if we can. Um, and um, yeah, so they would be the ways of, of, of contacting us. But by all means, try and do it in person because that's what we what we like. Thank you so much for for joining us today and sharing the journey and uh, all the great things that you're doing and all the reflection. Pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank you, Roland, for your great insights and ideas on how to build a business that aspires to be best in class and gives more than it takes. You should now reflect on how can I make sure my business becoming better every day and becomes the best in class. To get further inspiration on how to build a business that both delivers business results and impact, tune in to episode number 151 with Will Beckett, CEO of Hawksmaw on teaching skills, not techniques. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review or subscribe to one of our channels which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to Biz Simply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or via their social on bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at advice at bizsimply.com. A big thank you to Phoenix Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and more Maverick insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tingser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick.